an Arabic Bible, he's going to produce a Persian Bible, he's going to produce an Urdu Bible. His mindset was, I want to burn out for Christ. Brainerd died at 29, Martin's going to die at 31. So, you know, he follows closely in his footsteps. Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. When we come together each week, we, we have conversations about many different things. One of the things we like to talk about is missions. And the series uh, that we've been doing over the last year uh, is one called the Unknown Missionary Series, where we talk about missionaries that aren't often talked about. Uh, that is, unless you're in maybe a missions class, uh, these are folks whose names don't often pop up in terms of, you know, the great missionaries of old. And we want to give you an opportunity to be exposed to these people, that their stories might build your faith. These are just common people, people like you and me, who uh, in faith decide to do exemplary things, um, really important things in the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to be talking about another unknown missionary, uh, and this week, we're going to be discussing Henry Martin, who was a missionary to India and Persia at the beginning of the 19th century. To chat about Martin, we have invited James Fife, a former missionary to Southeast Asia and faculty professor of the Missiology Department here at LFBI, and with that, we want to welcome James to the show. Good morning. Glad to have you, man. Yeah, good to be back. You just finished class. I just finished teaching uh, Introduction to Missions. How's that going? It's going wonderfully. We yeah. start the beginning of it. It's a biblical perspective on missions. So we're still mm. in that first section covering what the Bible defines as mission, missions, missionary. It's a great class. Oh, yeah. I love the book in that class. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful book. Roland Allen's book. Yeah. Missionary yeah. Methods, St. Paul's, or ours. Love it. Yeah. It's really informative. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, uh, here in the not too distant future, I have, I have arranged to have Thomas Harding, pastor out at OHBC, mm -hmm. soon to be church planter, right. uh, is going to be walking through principles in Paul's missions life mm -hmm. on the PS Plus. So he's going to oh, be giving awesome. us 10-minute segments that, that kind of overlap probably some of the things from Roland Allen's book. That's great. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Henry Martin. Mm -hmm. and his upbringing. Paint, paint the picture for us, because we want to be able to relate to this guy. What was his life like, and how was he raised? Yeah, so he was born in 1781. Okay. So kind of back in that same era. We've talked about a number of people that come from that time period. Historically, this is really the birth of the modern missions movement, mm -hmm. kind of right around the turn of the, the 19th century is when we really start to see a bunch of missions movement. So, you know, 20 years plus or minus. Yeah. So he's in that time frame. He's born at the right time. Uh, the world is um, kind of wide open, mm -hmm. you know, and, and largely unexplored. Yeah. Still, but he's, he's born in uh, Cornwall, England, and uh, his father is a miner in his early life. Mm -hmm. They worked a, a really interesting schedule. They do four hours on, four hours off. I don't know how long that went or when they got days off. In the mine? Yeah. So they'd work for four hours, then they would rest for four hours. Work for four hours. They were shifts. Rest for four hours. Yeah, but I, I think it just went like for infinity. What kind of mining was this? Coal. Coal. Yeah. So it's dark and dirty. Dark and dirty. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So a uh, common family, uh, okay. at least initially, you yeah. know, in his, in his young time. But his father was... Um, was driven. He didn't have formal education, but he knew how to read. And so in his four hours off, he would always take books and read. Mm. So he really taught himself quite a bit and uh, worked himself into a position where he had some some knowledge and kind of, uh, at least theoretically, in business. Yeah, self-trained. Yeah. And he got a, he got a job, uh, you know, as kind of a, uh, an apprentice in the business world. And actually, he started doing really well for himself and brought the family kind of up out of the... Huh the miner's life and into uh, a more well-to-do yeah. state. Yeah. And it gave, gave his kids some options that they wouldn't have otherwise had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, uh, once, once they got into that position, so in, in Henry's early life, his dad is in the mines after that, he's uh, got a job and start actually starts his own business and uh, they get a little bit of resources. So now he does have opportunity to do a whole bunch of stuff. So he gets private tutors, he gets, mm. um, not really sports. 
Henry Martin is a, is written. He's, he's a book nerd. He is a book nerd. Probably part of that came out of necessity because mm-hmm. he was small of stature and just not very athletic. Okay. Actually, he writes about that and talks about how you know he was kind of disappointed in his athletic ability. <laughs> and wishes he could have fit in a little better that way. So hmm. I get the small of stature thing. I yeah. Got, I got a heart for that guy. Yeah, but you also played sports, though. I so did play sports, so. Y- was, you would probably actually make him feel inferior. I probably would have. Yeah, so. If we would have wrestled, me and Henry. Yeah, poor Henry would have. smashed him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but what history tells us is that he was, like, really into math. So if that gives you any insight, people who are really into math, yeah. generally, I, I don't often think of them as the most athletic people. Like, if we're just a stereotype. Right. So he was into math. Uh, he had a lot of success mm-hmm. and some scholarships and things kind of came his way, right? Right. Yeah. So really early life, we don't know much other than his his father, his family was, were Christians. Mm-hmm. So he grew up uh, around the gospel and around a church. Uh, but then, yeah, he started um, showing promise in math. And at age 14, he applied for a scholarship at the Corpus Christi College in Oxford. And so he went on his own. Uh, traveled to Oxford, uh, interviews for the scholarship. And based on his report, plus reports from others, he was the most qualified, most eloquent, proved to be you know, smarter than anyone else applying for the scholarship, wow. even at age 14. Wow. Uh, but was not given the scholarship. I don't know why. Um, I, they just decided to give it to someone else, maybe because of his age, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But he ends, he ends up at, at St. John's College, though, right? Yeah, I don't so know, was he there his whole career? I don't. He kind of bounced around and did a lot of things. Yeah, so well, so that was at age fourteen. So he goes back home. He gets back with his tutor. He keeps studying because his dad has money now. At age sixteen, he applies for St. John's College at Cambridge, hmm. and that when he does get, he yeah. gets admittance into there. So at age sixteen, he's going to Cambridge. Yeah, most sixteen-year-olds can't can't drive and hardly tie their shoes. At least the ones that I know today. Right. So the, and this so this guy's going to college like it's no thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, very different than than the sixteen year olds are. <laughs> so, is he and he's there to study math. He's there to study math. Yeah, he gets in on a, a math scholarship, and in the first couple of years, you know, he does well. He's placing in the top um, percentage of his class. Yeah, and is having great success. Um, is really starting to enjoy college life. He's getting a lot of accolades uh, because of his intelligence. Uh, he's making a lot of friends. They say that Henry was was a very loving uh, and just endearing type of person. Um, people loved to be around him. He cared mm-hmm. deeply for people. Uh, but because of uh, you know all the accolades that he was getting, he was also becoming quite prideful. Mm. Actually, you know, at, between sixteen and eighteen, uh, he's he's placing second typically in his class. He's winning all kinds of awards. He's a leader among among his peers. And he says that he turns his back wholly on the Lord. Hmm. You know, he is, like we said, he grew up Christian. Uh, at this time, he's he himself is actually not a Christian. Yeah. Uh, but has turned his back on the faith and everything about it because now uh, he's a smart guy. Yeah. You know, he, he's got the answers. He can right. figure it out. Mm. And then, you know, he was, he, he kind of had an experience where that all changed. I mean, dr- drastically changed. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could tell us a little about how he came to that place. Yeah, so uh, he actually bumps up and becomes number one in his class. He becomes uh, the best thing ever in the maths world. Okay. Up to that point. At least in St. John, Yeah, at least there. Yeah. (laughs) Best thing since Pythagoras. The only mathematician. Pythagorean theorem, Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. You know him. Yeah, I do know him. I would say the only contemporary mathematician I know is John Lennox. Okay. Who also doesn't look like he'd be athletic, but he's also like 85, so... Precursor to John Lennox, okay. Henry Martin. Yeah, okay. So he, uh, you know, he, he, December of 1799, he takes top honors. He writes home to his, tell his family. His father is really excited. He gets word back. Father's really proud of you. Well done. Father's in good health and of good spirits, mm. and, you know, and we're cheering for you. Um, basically, all good report. Yeah. That's December of 1799 and January of 1800. He gets news that his father dies. Mm. So unexpectedly, one month later, uh, his father's passed away, mm. and that really shook him, as it would, you know, yeah, anybody. He's sure. he's uh, what nineteen at this time. So a young man, his father died, um, and 
And so he, he began to slide into a depression. Uh, he still was able to keep his grades up somehow, but you know, it, it caused him to be a little bit depressed, but also contemplative. Mm. And probably one of the greatest things that came out of his father's death is that he said that he began to uh, think more about the invisible world to which his father had gone, and he knew that he would one day go as well, mm. referring to, to heaven or what happens next. Yeah. 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 Uh, so so he, he picked up the Bible and he started reading. Uh, because that's what he grew up with. And uh, in a time of trouble, he he just decided to try the Bible again, started reading Acts. He felt like God was pushing him into the epistles and, and then ultimately pushed him uh, to the life of Christ. So he starts reading the life of Christ and, uh, and, he, and he just sees uh, day after day uh, forgiveness so freely given mm. and, and forgiveness to, to all types of people. And he writes about it. Uh, in his in his journal, he says, "Soon I began to attend more diligently to the words of our Savior in the New Testament and to devour them with diligence. When the when the offers of mercy and forgiveness were made so freely, he says, then I supplicated to be made partaker of the covenant of grace with eagerness and with hope. Mm. So just reading the scriptures and and you know maybe we there were some men in in his school that that were." Uh, studying the scriptures with him. But essentially he sat down and was reading the scriptures and heard the gospel many times. But for the first time, it became real to him. And yeah. he cried out to the Lord. Yeah, I, You know, it's it's so often that when we encounter someone who doesn't know Christ, mm-hmm. but is inquisitive, that we ask them to read the gospels, particularly John. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really great advice. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that's the type of advice that you want to give someone is that is that if they're going to read the Bible and they're curious about the Bible, you know, you, a lot of times you'll hear a lost person say, "Well, I'll just start in Genesis, start at the beginning." I think as believers, we want to advise people to to begin with the life of Christ mm-hmm. because that's where redemption lies, and the the story of redemption kind of collides in that moment right. within the narrative of Scripture, and um, people will just like Henry Martin. Um, kind of come in contact with forgiveness maybe for the very first time. And and so, um, man, praise the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that we practice. You know, our, mm-hmm. our Bible study method here is let's, let's sit down and open the Bible, just mm-hmm. invite the lost. Yep. We, do, we do practice evangelism in, in terms of just, you know, cold confrontational evangelism. Mm-hmm. But uh, the best method, at least in terms of fruit that we've seen as a, as a church, has certainly been to get people to sit down and open up the yeah. Bible and just let God speak for himself. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's it's the most persuasive um, thing to let the Spirit of God do the work through the power of God's Word itself. Like, there's nothing more persuasive. Yeah. One yeah. more thing, that actually, yeah. that was really important in that time period. His sister, uh, who was a believer, mm-hmm. was praying for him diligently, and she would let him know that frequently. Even in those two years where he was prideful and rebellious, she just let her brother know continually that she loved him and that she was praying for him. And he even writes that if it were not for his sister's prayers uh, and continual, uh, you know, just beseeching the Lord on his behalf, that he surely would have fallen into the ways of the world mm-hmm. while he was in college. Mm. Yeah, powerful to have yeah. family members. Now, is this the same sister that he went back home to support? Yes. So that's kind of the next stage is that there's this pivot moment because there's lack, now that dad's no longer alive, mm-hmm. Henry Martin's now a believer and he has this conviction that he needs to go and support his sister. But that's not, that comes, maybe I'm jumping ahead. That mm-hmm. comes after he begins to get this inkling in his heart that there's more to life in terms of his purposes. Right, yeah. So he's still finishing up college and he's still um, crushing the math world and is, is still winning everything. Uh, he realized that uh, it's vanity, yeah. essentially. You know, yeah. he starts writing. He, he gets the highest honors. He becomes the uh, the senior wrangler, is what it was called. This is the highest honor of all. Like the the character qualities of everything that it means to be a scholar and okay. a humanitarian and a leader among your peers. Okay. So he's designated that for the last couple of years. He's in school. He's getting that. Uh, he casually applied to some uh, Latin prose competition mm. and won. Hmm. So the guy didn't even study Latin, 
primarily. He's a math major. Yeah. But here he is winning Latin competitions. Like, he's just good right. at everything he does. Right, right. And, and he writes that he felt like, uh, you know, now that he had Christ and now that he began to understand the the weight of the gospel and the weight of sin and the necessity of the gospel, he felt like he was just grasping shadows. So it's like as, as if it were nothing. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. So he begins to get a burden. I mean, you, you mentioned that, that this was a time period in which there was a, a missions movement taking place mm-hmm. in the world. And so certainly he came in contact with that. Um, but can you explain to us the influences that mm-hmm. led him to believe that he has he was being called to the mission field and that there was a need for him to go and, and to preach the gospel. Yeah, so right after he gets saved, uh, Charles uh, Simeon becomes his pastor and mm-hmm. becomes one of the primary influences in his early life, uh, early you know, Christian life. Um, Simeon is teaching him the Bible, but it appears he also saw um, you know, spiritual gifting in him as well, not mm-hmm. just his uh, extreme math and apparently Latin talents, right. uh, because he kind of brought him in and, and began to disciple him, began to train him as a pastor and, and had him a- around. Uh, it was said that so excellent was the example of Pastor Simeon that Martin, until now, he had intended to devote himself to the law chiefly. This was his plan after math. Yeah, he's going to be a scholar of the law. Yeah. yeah. He confesses because he could not consent to be poor for Christ's sake. Uh, he, <laughs> He wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah, I'm not willing to be poor, but because the you know the testimony of of uh, Simeon was so great, he he was willing even to give all of that up and to mm. say, you know what, uh, perhaps it is worth it to be poor for for Christ's sake, and uh, to give my life wholly to Him. So that's the first uh, of his great influences. Um, then after that, he's introduced uh, to David Brainerd's work in writings. Mm-hmm. So David Brainerd was a missionary to Native American Indians uh, just shortly before you know, this time period. We haven't done him here because he is kind of one of those bigger name okay. guys. Um, uh, had influence in you know the West, primarily outreaching Indians. Said he, as they would say, he won hundreds and hundreds of savages mm. to the Lord. Right. That's the way they talk. That's the way they talk. Yeah. Um, but even in you know in the Great Awakening, uh, his his brother and family members also uh, were great were awakening preachers and mm. revivalists. So you know he came from uh, and influenced most of the, the men who came into the the modern missions movement. And so he had written journals that were being published that were kind of used to present missions uh, philosophy, uh, their devotional resources. And, and so he comes and Henry comes in contact with this material Yeah, and he's reading it. Yeah. He's reading it. And really, uh, David Brainerd becomes his, his, uh, kind of role model, his idol. Mm -hmm. And and Brainerd dies, uh, young Brainerd is 29, I believe Mm -hmm. when he dies. So he lives a very short life, but accomplishes a lot for the Lord. And, you know, Martin was in this place where where I don't want to be poor. I want to be a lawyer, but I want to do a lot for the Lord. And then he, he shifts out of that to this, you know what, I'm willing to give up everything uh, to the place where he said, I wish for no service, but the service of God to labor for souls on earth and to do his will in heaven. Mm. And that stemmed largely from the, the life and example of Brainerd, a young man who's just willing to give everything and uh, ultimately, yeah, give his life at a young age. Mm. So right when this is taking place, in his life, this kind of, this level of conviction, he begins to recognize that his sister is actually in need financially. She has no one to support her. Mm-hmm. She's not yet married. Uh, his father has now passed away. Mm-hmm. And so just as he's getting this inkling that he's supposed to go do something, he's mm-hmm. supposed to go do exploits, um, he feels a call back home uh, to help provide for his sister. Yeah, a couple of things are happening. Um, he's, he's now preaching it on a regular basis. Uh, he's been uh, traveling, maybe like we would say, a, a deputation type where he's getting out and visiting other churches. Mm-hmm. Charles Simeon is helping him with this, um, getting a, a call to go. He actually uh, was packed up and ready to go, got on a boat and took off and the boat uh, turned back. And, uh, you know, the Lord works and does some interesting stuff. And so he gets delayed. He has to come back to home. Mm. And it's during this time where, you know, part of that, that, probably what the Lord was doing, part of what was working in just in Martin's heart is he has to take care of his sister. Yeah. 
And so this delays him being able to get out onto the mission field. But uh, he, he even finds great joy in this, uh, you know, owing a great debt uh, to his sister is, mm. is the way he, he feels. You know, spiritually, he has this eternal debt to the sister who prayed for him and was faithful to him. So, yeah, he comes back, um, makes money, provides for them. Uh, through a financial crisis, kind of not just for them, but kind of in the broader area yeah, uh, where they were at. Yeah. And I don't know, how long did they say he was? that's what he was up to? A couple of years. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. But it delays, you know, everything that he's wanting to do Okay, for, for a season. And then he sets out again. At what what precipitates that? I mean, and, and how did he decide where he was going to go? Uh, what precipitated that was just, he had that same heart. Mm -hmm. It never changed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important thing because sometimes, uh, when God slows us down and puts the brakes on a thing, we think we have a vision. Um, unfortunately, uh, we may be quick to give up on the vision just because it's, it's a roadblock because it's not now. Yeah. And a lot of times this happens though, you know, God wants to test the integrity. God wants to test the persistence of the mm -hmm. men that are going to go because getting, getting on a field in India ultimately is mm -hmm. where he's going to go first is going to be really tough. Not just getting there, but once you land, like life is going to be hard. There are going to mm -hmm. be a lot of things that are going to, uh, you know, encourage you to turn around. There are going to be a lot of reasons to quit. And, uh, you know, so here, here, God, uh, I think God slows it down and mm -hmm. says, are you sure? Are you right. sure, Henry Martin? Yeah. Are you really in this, even mm -hmm. if it, if it tarries? Yeah. What if the vision tarries? Mm. Well, write it and make it, make it clear because that way when the vision tarries, we can run when we read it and we can still, we can still get to it when the appointed time comes. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, cause I think, you know, whether it be the mission field or some, Area of calling, I think it's common for people to, um, you know, uh, expect kind of an on-demand calling, mm -hmm. right? Where God is immediately obligated to give them the thing that he's revealed to, the, to mm -hmm. them. And actually, I think a lot of times when God reveals a thing, um, he does it with the intention that it stoke patience, that it, that, that patience has its perfect work. Mm -hmm. Um not because he wants something to be done with immediacy or urgency. He, he's just saying, hey, now that you know this, it's going to be really hard for you to wait on me actually doing this thing in your life. It's going to be hard for you. Yeah. And so now that you know, how are you going to position your heart to be patient and temperate and wait on me? Yep. It's it's a good, healthy thing that God does. Oh, yeah, it is. Actually, we were just talking uh, about that today in our Intro to Missions course. Mm. So... um plug, go take that, that course, <laughs> go take that uh, intro to missions yeah. course, because we cover the basics and we talk about this idea of what are the character qualities of a missionary. And you often mm -hmm. see the same, same thing yeah. coming up in, in scripture too. So now that he's uh, been patient and now, and, you know, he's waited on the Lord and now he's got this open door, it's time to go. Um, you said he was, go he headed to India. Yeah. India uh, was his heart. Uh, India, there's a lot of, a lot of travel to India. You have the East India Trading Company, uh, which was yeah. uh, not a missions agency, not a missions organization, but we just were trading. You know, the world is expanding. Um, boats are becoming safer, though they take a long time. It's going to mm -hmm. take them nine and a half months to float to India. Jeez. Uh, but we're, you know, we've always been a curious uh, creature. And so we want the spices and we want the, we want peacocks. Yeah. Like who sure, doesn't want a peacock yeah. in, I mean, in it, London? Like if you're going to, if you're going to colonize the world, what better reason than to get peacocks? Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but I, the East India Trading Company was huge. I mean, yeah. you, most kids learn about this in their Western Civ classes mm -hmm. or, or their European history. Like it, there was a really a ton of wealth pouring into India mm -hmm. and, and also um, a lot of benefit that it was bringing to just culturally into um England and, and throughout Europe. Mm -hmm. And so uh, travel w between India and, and Europe was just increasing drastically. Mm -hmm. There was probably lots of different, you know, routes and boats that were yeah. going back constantly. It's further and, and harder to get to than Africa, mm. you know, especially from Europe, you know, Africa would have mm -hmm. been close, um, but Africa wasn't uh, as 
maybe advanced and civilized. So not only it's that trade thing, it's, it's exotic, but they also have something to offer. Mm -hmm. So he becomes a chaplain for the East India trading company. Yeah. And so that's his official post. Interestingly, uh, at that time, the missions agencies uh, that existed did not consider uh, India an open field for missions. Meaning what? Meaning they weren't they weren't directly sending people into India, um, and 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 some of these agencies. So they'll send you under these other you know kind of peripheral type roles. You can be a chaplain for the trading company, but you hmm. can't just go independently as a missionary and say I'm going to go and I'm going to I'm going to win India to Christ. Which is real weird, considering this is after William Carey. Yeah, you'd think that that door would have already been kicked down. I mean, William Carey was a famous and well-known right. missionary at this point, but it also points to the fact that these these missionary societies and maybe even the culture, uh, particularly among Protestants at the time, was very conservative mm-hmm. as it concerns missions and the way that their money got spent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, is, is that accurate? Is that an accurate assessment? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, it would take some rebels like mm-hmm. Carey. Um, you know, if we were to talk about him and he, he, he's telling people that he believes God, it, the great commission is still, um, a valid commission for every believer today. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of the believers did not believe that mm-hmm. it, he, the re, the response, the rebuttal to carry was if God intends to save the heathens, he'll do it himself. Mm. So yeah, it did take some, some people that just got a hold of the book and decided to trust what God yeah. said. And so he, Carrie was a rebel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he went, but uh, a lot of these these uh, agencies aren't yet supporting it, yeah. so they're very conservative. They're slow they're, to change. They're very slow to change. Yeah. yeah, and so they were. I mean, they were calling people back from the field per, with great regularity. Mm-hmm. If there was some sort of issue, like minor issues, they would be quick. A guy just traveled cr- halfway across the world, and uh, you know he hasn't found a wife yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll bring him back, or you know mm-hmm. something about his ministry they don't like. Um, but it was a very conservative time in missions, despite yeah. the fact that it was also revolutionary. Right. Um, which I think is common in revolutions is that, that, that you're kind of, the story or the narrative is that s- some men, some people are pushing back against the, the, the prototype. Right. And, uh, and, and certainly Henry Martin was one of those guys. Yeah, he is. Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned uh, having a wife. Yeah. Maybe this is a great place to drop that idea yeah. into. So Henry's a young man. Uh, by the time he's getting ready to go to missions, it's 1805. So he's 24 years old, um, prime marrying age. Uh, and again, with all his credentials, like bachelor of the year. Yeah, should have been. I mean, not athletic, small. That's true. Maybe that's what hurt him. But you know, Back you got then, a big, money, big money, brain. Money and brains went a long way back then. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You'd rather have big brain than... Right, than yeah, than big than muscles. That, uh, soccer player. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he did have this love interest, this lady yeah. he was interested in. Uh, oh, gosh, I think her name was Lydia. Okay. If it's not, we're just going to call her Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend like it is, because I don't remember all the details. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he wrote of her uh, as his beloved idol. Hmm. Because he... He genuinely pursued her and tried to woo her and win her while he was in college. She was a couple years older, uh, but she never gave in. Even after, you know, that boat turned around, he comes back to take care of his sister. He has one more opportunity to spend time with his, his beloved uh, mm-hmm. Lydia. So he's, he's still trying to woo her. And she says, no, he, he says, come with me, um, marry me and join the mission with me. She says, no. And it's actually something that he wrestles with for the rest of his life, mm. um, which, spoiler, it's not an actually a very long life. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's the reality of, of that age and it's the reality of missions. He had to come to a, a really hard decision to say, I'm going to go on the mission field and here's the woman I want to marry. And here's you know, the place full of opportunity and possibilities. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to turn all of that aside and I'm going to follow Christ. So he goes on the field as a single guy and he ends up dying as a single guy. Mm-hmm. He never does get married. And uh, he counts that cost yeah. and decides that Christ is worth it. But he also writes in his journal how oftentimes, you know, he would think about her and still would still dream about her. And like, it was a real wrestling. It was something he had to put down over and over and over. Wow. And, you know, not everyone is built for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but some people are, mm-hmm. 
And I think that's, that's something, you know, no one can really give much counsel on. Right. You know, it's something you have to wrestle with the Lord over, yeah. you know, a lot of times I'll have young people who str are struggling with this very thing. They know that they're supposed to church plant. They know they're supposed to be a part of that work. They know that that's going to take them away from the local church where, you know, the uh, opportunity to find a mate is much easier. Mm -hmm. um, and they have to grapple with that. That has to either be okay or not okay. Mm -hmm. uh, can the Lord work in their life either way? Uh, sure. But but ultimately, if God's calling you to something and you know that that, that is, is the, you know, with clarity, you know, and conviction that that's what you're supposed to be doing, well, you can't let anything get in the way right. of it. You know, that's, yep. and that's the, the thing that we need to learn. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Um, so he goes without her. He's a chaplain, yep. which I think, as far as I could tell, just basically meant that his job was to minister to all of the passengers of the ship. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in the time between, you know, leaving and then nine months later or whatever, docking in India, he had a lot of work to do just to minister to the people mm -hmm. on, on the ship. And I think the intention was that he would stay with the workers of the, the um, trading company and continue on with them to minister with them right. in time. Yep. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Hi, my name is John Scott. I go to Northside Baptist Church in Columbus, Ohio, and I'm an LFBI student. LFBI is spectacular. It's an institute that is taught by pastors as opposed to professors, people who are actually in the ministry with their feet on the ground, in the dirt, making disciples, evangelizing, and actually loving people. And it's the best resource out there for any sort of Bible teaching. In my life, I've used many of the classes. One in particular is the evangelism class. After going through the course, I was able to transform by God's grace the whole method and the, and the whole process of the Bible study where it is more evangelistic and we're able to actually reach out to people and then actually study the Bible together. It's something so simple, but man, it's, it's because of LFBI that that changed. Now, now we're able to plug that into an evangelistic ministry that we have out of our church. So I couldn't recommend LFBI more. To enroll for classes, visit lfbi.org. To support LFBI, please visit lfbi.org slash support. Yeah, so nine months on the boat, uh, he spends all of his time evangelizing. He's not one to waste time mm -hmm. and uh, for the cause of Christ and didn't see it, you know, really in his entire ministry, doesn't see a whole lot of fruit, especially on that boat. And there were other isolated times where he saw very little fruit. But, but even there, you know, he, he would go and he would preach fiery sermons to the, to the men. Uh, it said that he was quite the fiery preacher, mm. um, had, had no problem preaching about, you know, hell uh, and condemnation uh, or, or against sin. You know, he would call people to a, a righteous standard. Mm. And uh, actually, once he lands in India, is greatly opposed by some of the people who are already there. Uh, you know, cultural Christians or, you know, the East India training company people who would call themselves Christians and even a couple missionaries. They he was just too radical. They don't like us preaching. Yeah. Wow. They don't want, they didn't want uh, some guy coming in saying the only way that you will uh, get to heaven is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and your, your personal repentance hmm. and acceptance. Wow. I said, nah, let's not do that. Yeah. But he does see, you know, uh, some people get saved even on the boat. And uh, he recognizes, uh, I think, in that in that boat time, that opposition will always be in front of him. Mm -hmm. And so he comes to grips with that that threats, opposition, uh, just the 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 lack of desire in the heart of people to tune in to spiritual mm -hmm. things. Yeah, would be something that he would always face. Yeah, it's his first moment of confronting ministry independently. He no longer has. Simeon is his pastor. He's no longer back home. He's out on his own and he's doing the thing that God called him to do. And so he comes to this realization pretty early on that it's going to be really, it's going to be more difficult than he could have imagined. Exactly. Which I think what is, that's also common too, right? Like, so as a missionary or a church planter, you can, you can prep and you can prep and you can prep mm -hmm. and you can intellectualize what to expect. Mm -hmm. But until you're out there doing the ministry, preaching the gospel, engaging with the culture, it's impossible to fully understand just how rejected you will be, mm -hmm. 
right? I mean, I'm sure you experienced that. Oh, absolutely. It, oftentimes I, I liken it to um, being the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. So there is no job like the president of the United States. And there is no preparation that will specifically and uniquely get you ready for that job. Maybe mm -hmm. you ran a city, maybe you ran a state. Right. But once you become president, that's a whole new level of training. Mm -hmm. and I think the training and the preparation for missions is the same. And it's wise to approach it as such. You may have led a ministry, you may have led, you know, you started and, and, and pioneered works. But once you get out there, everything is, is so completely different that, it, that it, there is no training that will fully get you ready. Right. Right. So you have, you have all these principles and you take the word and you take the principles, but now you've got different culture and you've got different opposition and, yeah. and just a different depth of opposition to you, to where you go, nothing fully prepared me. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's good to, to recognize. Yeah. But I do have everything that I need. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's really good. You know, one of the things on his trip uh, that he came in contact with was uh, the British conquest of Cape Colony. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to do a little geography and looking up, but, but, you know, Great Britain was colonizing the world still during this time period. And so what he observed was basically a skirmish and a lot of, you know, natives were killed mm -hmm. and, uh, and he determined in his heart that the, he, what it said was that, that the destiny of Great Britain was to not colonize the world, but mm -hmm. to convert it. And so this became his part of his mission was, was that, there wasn't really anything that Great Britain had to offer fully in terms of, uh, you know, um, influence, cultural influence, uh, wealth, power, um, whatever virtues that came with, you know, even kind of like a, a Pax Romana perspective, let's mm -hmm. like lovingly govern the world and, and take them into our care. That, that was nothing. It paled in comparison to... Yeah converting people who are lost. Right. And so he be, this paradigm shift came into play that really, I think, affected the way in which he did missions, the urgency mm -hmm. in which he did missions. Uh, it seemed like a, a pivotal moment. Yeah, and that, you know, that mindset was ingrained into, especially the British at that time. Mm -hmm. What he recognized is that colonization has nothing to offer. Uh, what people really need is Christ. It, it, and I think that mindset, maybe not so much today, but when we were younger and definitely our parents' generation mm -hmm. was the, the mindset here, you know, America is the greatest, America has everything, what we want to offer is, yeah, let's is export what America has. This freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's not what anybody needs. Nobody needs what America has to offer. They only need Christ and they only need what uh, he has to offer. That That is, so that's the same idea. Henry Martin uh, is learning this on the ship, mm -hmm. both through the, you know, the, just the, the struggles of preaching the gospel to the people. Every time they pour it, they see different things. They see the, the, the cruelties of mm -hmm. war, or he just sees the need of the people. Mm -hmm. and, and he says, the threats and opposition of these men made me willing to set before them the truths that they hated, yet I had no species of hesitation about doing it. Mm. Like he came to a place where, at least, you know, momentarily, he's saying, I just like the way they talk, too. Mm -hmm. no, yeah, no, right. no species of hesitation. Yeah, we need more of that kind uh, of language. More of that language and more of that mindset. Yeah. It's like, I'm just mm -hmm. going to, uh, nothing will, will stop me from just giving them what they need. Yeah, the it, it was grand and romantic, and it should have been. Mm -hmm. like, it, like, if anything is worth being a little bit romantic about, it's, it's the ideology that comes with the Great Commission. Right. You know? Yep. Yeah. But that too, you know, like his, um, like his desire to be married was something he actually rewrites about many times and has to wrestle with. He actually struggles uh, and says that maybe, maybe I'm not a naturally gifted evangelist. Maybe I'm not the best at this. Mm -hmm. um, but then has to come back to saying, but this is what God sent me to do. Yeah. And so yeah. I will. So tell us about India. So he's there. What, ha what happens? How do things unfold? And, and how does God lead him in terms of what he's supposed to be doing? Yeah, so he gets to India. He, he does his bit with uh, the trading company, but he knows his real work is uh, to to see souls saved. Uh, we still use that type of model a lot, a model that, that I went under. You know, mm -hmm. when I went to Pakistan, uh, I was there in a nursing role and had a job that I did uh, in the eyes of the government, 
but had a, a primary role mm-hmm. that was given to me by the king, and that's to uh, bring the gospel to the people. So, you know, he, he immediately um, begins that work. He starts evangelizing. He makes a friend and gets, or, well, starts paying for a tutor. Mm-hmm. He realizes he's got to learn the language. And he does, uh, you know, he has great success in languages as well. By the time he dies, they say he was, he was fluent in six or seven languages. So he's gets mastery of all kinds of languages. Yeah, he was winning competitions, you know, back home speaking Latin. Like, right. And then even I think mathematics is a very, ling- is very linguistic mm-hmm. in nature, right? So you, it's, it's representations and symbols. There's icons that represent things. And, and so maybe there's this, maybe he was being prepared all along for mm-hmm. this work, right? Like that's probably what the Lord was doing was exactly. exposing him to the kind of mindset necessary to prepare him for understanding language. Yep. He, he recognizes that the great need is a Bible. He knows that he can he can reach people, you know, in the handfuls by speaking to them. But if he can write the Bible and translate the Bible, which they didn't have, then he could speak to unlimited number of people. And so that becomes really for the rest of his ministry, rest of his life, his primary work is going to be Bible translation. Mm-hmm. Though he never gives up on personal evangelism and never gives up on discipling and pastoring. Uh, he starts with Hindustani, so the, the local Hindi language. And he does. He translates the Bible uh, into Hindustani. Um, and, and real quick, just to put it all in context, his entire ministry life is going to be six years. Mm-hmm. His entire mission is going to be six yeah. years. At 25, he leaves. At age 31, he dies. Right. So everything that we're saying, he learns the language sufficiently enough. And by the way, they don't, they don't have a, a, a written language. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be true of a couple of the Bibles that he produces, because he's not going to stop uh, with that one. He's going to produce a, right. an Arabic Bible. He's going to produce a Persian Bible. He's going to produce an Urdu Bible. Many of them are, are spoken languages without a written language yet. So, so I know he had what actually, you want to say. I'm, I'm, well, I'm going to ask, because I don't know much about this. Okay. I mean, so he takes what the phonetic language mm-hmm. and he creates an alphabet mm-hmm. and then he uses the alphabet to to begin the translation work. Mm-hmm. So he not only has the concern of accuracy in the translation of words, phrases, and ideas, mm-hmm. but he also has to be concerned about whether or not the actual alphabetic language fits the phonetic. Right. Which is insane. Back to his math brain. Yeah. So... So how, I mean, okay, walk us through this because how did he get this done? What did it look like? Did he, did he have opposition along the way? T- tell us about the details here, because this really, if we're going to emphasize anything from this episode, I think in, in terms of what he did and what he accomplished in six years, he did more than what most people could do in a lifetime of, right. of, of work. Now, so that like in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this guy's behind a desk mm-hmm. and he's writing and writing and writing for hours and hours a day. He's studying, he's got books open everywhere. Mm-hmm. He's, he's looking and comparing. Um, and yet he's still out on the street sharing the gospel. Like mm-hmm. this guy was a machine. Right. Good thing he didn't have a wife. No doubt. He couldn't have no done it. No time for her. No, I mean, there's no way. There is no <laughs> she way. She would have been at home to cook him dinner. He would have ate it and went straight to the study. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible what he got done. Uh, can you can you tell us, you know, how he fit all that in? What was he doing? Uh, yeah, I think it's just uh, a decision to to make your minutes of your life matter mm-hmm. and to not waste them on things that don't. Yeah, you know, we so easily lose track of minutes and then they add up. And by the end of the day, if we have apps that could track this for us. They, they tell us that we've lost hours and hours and hours yeah. every day. We wasted right. on nothing. Um, you know, so because, because of this situation, because it's a, a an unwritten language, it, it necessitated him being with the people, right? So, so the, the translation work plus the evangelism work would go hand in hand. And, mm. and you see that a lot with people who are learning a language. So it's a new language for him. He's not going to learn it from a book because it's not written. So he had to be out with the people. So, you know, he's learning the language by having gospel conversations um, you know, I, I practiced the same thing when I was learning Urdu. Uh, I'd go out to the to the market and just have conversations with everyone and try to put uh, you know spiritual topics into the conversation. Mm-hmm. 
And, and yes, but he's, he's concerned with all of those things that you mentioned, with trying to accurately and, uh, capture the language and then accurately capture the scripture and then marry those two things together. Oh, and make sure that it fits within the cultural context uh, to some degree as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, the motivation behind this appears to be a desire to see the Muslims converted. Yeah, so early on, uh, actually, his his tutor is a Muslim, mm. but but speaks the common language, mm-hmm. and so uh, his tutor ends up getting saved and becoming his right hand man, mm. and works with him in the Hindustani translation, uh, and then uh, Henry begins to get sick, so the the tropical climate of India where he was hot and wet and mosquito filled. And I'm not exactly sure, but we can guess he's probably getting malaria frequently or yellow fever or mm. dengue. Uh, but it's starting to take a toll on his health. And that starts you know, pretty early after he gets to India. And so his health starts deteriorating. Yeah. So besides everything you just said, he's doing all of this on limited uh, physical capacity because right. he's getting sick. Mm. And so uh, it's, it's actually this man that was his language tutor uh, who is himself... Uh, uh, of Persian descent, who says, hey, would you consider moving to Persia, modern-day Iran? Uh, it's drier there. Uh, your your health will be better there. You'll get more life, you know, more years of life, and they don't have a Bible. Mm. And so, you know, that was really the introduction to it. And he's, you know, he has this great affection for this man, who's now his brother. And uh, so he says, well, yeah, then, then I need to start ministering to more Muslims. Mm. So they, they head to Persia, mm-hmm. which, and, and you can explain the geography to me. I, I know in general, Persia would be modern Iraq, mm-hmm. Iran, 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 Iraq. Iran. Yeah. And so um, what, what would Persia have been like and what would he have been doing there when, when he got there? I mean, he was working on, on the Urdu Bible, mm-hmm. right? Lead me along the line in terms of his focus, because part of it was he was taking the Urdu Bible to Persia. Mm-hmm. He hadn't completed that work, but then he begins working on a Persian Bible. Mm-hmm. And so explain how that unfolded. Yeah. So uh, again, it was driven by lack of health and this idea that he could get more work done if he Mm -hmm. shifted. So yes, he's got to take the work that's unfinished and he takes it with him. Ultimately, he's also going to have to add an Arabic Bible uh, into the mix. He's going to actually write an Arabic Bible. Mm. (laughs) Just toss that in there. Yeah. Um, So travel. uh, So across India, you've got to go... He's on the east side of India. He's got to mm-hmm. go across all of India and, and then, you know, modern day Pakistan. And you got to head north and west up into Iran and Iraq. So it's going to take weeks and weeks of travel. Uh, that gives him time where he has nothing to do but write and work and talk with his, with his, uh, with his tutor. Ultimately, his heart is to go and to, to win Muslims. He's had the opportunity to, to minister to some and he's, and he's recognized how one, how, how difficult they are to communicate the gospel to. Mm-hmm. And two, how intelligent they are. Actually, mm-hmm. that's something that he pointed out. He, he recognized, and this is kind of a novel idea. A lot of people had to come come to this reality in this time period. This all knowledge and and you know wisdom and and reason is not bound up in England. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the the thought. Right. So here's some people, different uh belief system, but very intelligent, very good at reason. You know, mm-hmm. they would, he actually was a debater too. So he would debate with these people all day, every day. He would, he would go in, into the Brahmas, the, the Hindis, the Hindus, uh, the Muslims, all of them, he would debate mm-hmm. with them. And anyway, that took us off track. We were talking about the, yeah. the scripture, um, but that's just, as, you know, when, when, a, when a thing gets your heart, when you know that God has put a thing in your heart and, and th- that's the work that God has given you. And you just got to decide if you're going to, how much you're going to give to it. Mm-hmm. And his decision was, I'm going to give everything to it. So how did he do it? I don't know. Cause I, I learned a language and after, th- you know, three years of, of speaking or do every day, I still felt like I could never have re- written a Bible. Four wow. and a half years of speaking or do every day. Wow. I couldn't have written a Bible. Wow. I so, don't know. So, you know, in terms of his legacy, 
because eventually he falls prey to to the illness mm-hmm. and, it, and it takes his life. So mm-hmm. six years of ministry. Mm-hmm. What's the legacy? What what is it that he got done, and what is it that we need to learn from the life of Henry Martin? As short as his ministry was, there is a lot to learn. I yeah, think. you know, in principle, um, his mindset was: I want to burn out for Christ. If if I am a light, if I am to be a candle, if I am to be a light in the darkness, and then I really just want to burn out in. For him, again, Brainerd was his was his mm-hmm. role model. Brainerd died at twenty nine. Martin's going to die at thirty one. So you know he follows closely in his footsteps. So the, I think the first legacy is uh, a willingness to to pour everything, like a, a work ethic that will give everything to the cause of Christ, mm. and to make everything else secondary uh, is, is important. Uh, physically, you know, tangibly, uh, you know, f- what four four different Bible translations. Mm. Uh, he's the the William Tyndale of of the Urdu Bible for sure, which which I have because you know for me the legacy is this. This is my Urdu Bible from my time in 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 Pakistan. So it this is built on the work that Henry Martin did. Mm. Uh, you know he said in his lifetime in India Pakistan area he saw um, maybe a couple dozen people come to Christ. Mm. But he knew that his Bible could reach countless scores more. And I right. know that I've preached the gospel to hundreds and hundreds with this Bible. So, mm. you know, that too, it, it's, it's his legacy is, is continually being written and, yeah. and growing because of what he did uh, in terms of Bible translation. Um, what about in terms of using your youth, the years of mm-hmm. your youth, uh, not wasting them? Um, that that we need to hear that young people here in our in our Bible Institute uh, that are getting this training, um, what is it they need to know about spending or burning brightest? You know, in the years where they have a lot of energy and, and availability. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're not in our twenties anymore. No, my back has hurt through this whole interview. I saw you squirming a few yeah, times over yeah. there. That's it's more, just more evidence. I know. Yeah. You, I mean, you feel it more and more when I was yeah. in my twenties, nothing hurt. And, yeah. You know, when I went to, to uh, El Salvador, I, I could stay up all day and, and go do stay up all night with the young mm-hmm. guys. You know, I was yeah. like, just do it again and again. Right. Um, I think there's a couple of things, you know, I think, and maybe this just comes from my own personal experience, but I think if we have kids, church kids, we have to be catching them in middle school. Um, if we're not catching them until they come to, to college, then we're already behind uh, the eight ball quite a bit. You know, so meaning uh, we need a really strong uh, investment into our middle and high schoolers because mm-hmm. if they can get envisioned for the mission, yeah. you know, I, I had weird ideas like God actually wants me to learn a language. And so I took foreign language in high school seriously where everyone else was like, Psh, we just have to take it. Yeah, that was me. Yeah. Hated it. Yeah, no, who didn't? <laughs> I mean, I should have paid attention, but I, yeah. wasn't, I wasn't as as faithful as you. Well, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't because of anything other than I. I just thought that God wants right. me to reach the nations, yeah, it was and they don't all speak English, right? You know, so if we're catching our middle schoolers and high schoolers and envisioning them to look at life through the through first the the lens of the mission, and then everything else is secondary, then we can we can already launch them into college saying. Then, then how do I? What do I study in college? What makes the most sense for the mission? Mm-hmm. It may not necessarily matter what, what I'm most interested in or what's going to pay me the most. Right. You know all of those things. So if we can catch them early and launch them, imagine if we're sending you, you know, 18 year olds who are saying, uh, you know, I'm I'm ready to be a missionary here in a few years. I, yeah. I've been. I'm decide, I'm wanting to. I'm doing everything I can. Yeah. I'm seeing more and more of those folks. So it's pretty exciting. We're at that stage in, in Midtown yeah. just now where we're yeah. getting that generation coming in. But, you know, you're not, you know, so, but Henry Martin, he's, uh, you know, 16 when he gets saved, mm-hmm. 17. Um, so, you know, he just, he just decides to give what he has left in, in his youth. Mm-hmm. Um, so at, at the time of his death, he's actually traveling back west. He's trying to get to, uh, to Turkey, essentially Constantinople. And then back into Europe, his plan is to actually go back and to try again to, to marry uh, Lydia. And so he's never lost that, but mm. he put that on hold. You know, he was willing to set that aside. And as you talked about, 
it's something people will wrestle with and come to different conclusions on. But giving those young, powerful years of your life. So practically, you know, we could put more people on the mission field, even if it's just for a short season, one or two Mm -hmm. years. What if what if we gave two or three years uh, to the mission field before settling in to everything else? Mm -hmm. I mean, I bet we have some people not quite as smart as Martin. <laughs> but almost. Yeah. I mean, we could we could probably see a lot happen. That and they may not be gifted the same way he is. Maybe they're evangelists or maybe yeah. they're maybe there's something that God has for them to do, but the idea is that um there has to be a sense of urgency in the heart of a yeah. person. Um but but then also patience because he did have some waiting to do too. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a really you see kind of these this two kind of paradoxical mm-hmm. aspects of uh, the calling on on his life, it, 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 there's extreme waiting, but then extreme urgency. Once he yeah. hits the ground running, once he has permission, he gives everything he has, and and that's also a testimony yeah. and and part of his legacy. Yep. So at the very end of his life, his his last goal was actually to produce the Persian Bible and deliver it to the Shah, mm-hmm. the king of the area. And he does. He he produces it. He, he creates two really beautifully ornate versions of it, which is a cultural thing. I was going to bring my very fancy Urdu Bible, but I mm-hmm. forgot. And uh, Henry dies before the Shah would ever meet him. Shah didn't want it. Um, but someone picks up that mantle. And, you know, the guys that were working with him actually after his death uh, make that become a reality. So the mm-hmm. Shah gets the Bible. So the Persian Bible goes to the king. And, uh, you know... Some wisdom there too, because once the king has it, once the shah has it, then the common man in that culture are going to say, "Oh, well, then it's good for us too." Mm. So you know, mm. praise the Lord for uh, sharing a vision as well mm. and inviting people into the work with you, and you know, dying and knowing that others can pick it up. Yeah, um, another wonderful story, um, another great missionary yeah. to look at. Um, as we as we close, uh, can you just extend an invitation to uh, folks that are listening to be a part of our of our Bible Institute and to consider whether or not they should be taking uh, the classes that we offer to prepare them for similar works, but but whatever it is that God has them to do in terms of missions. There's a lot of people who are who are grappling with mm-hmm. the foreign field um, or to to national or international church planting, and mm-hmm. and so. Um, maybe you can make make a quick pitch for the missions courses here at LFBI. Yeah, absolutely. God God's heart has always been uh, a, a missions heart. And God, Christ is the ultimate missionary, right? And, and His desire has always been to see souls saved and trained up and churches planted. And that's where we begin in our introduction to missions course. We're looking at the biblical foundations for missions. And that that uh, you know that applies to anybody who wants to be involved in ministry. You don't have to go across the ocean to be a missionary. But what you're doing at the core is taking the mission that God has left to the church, and you're just doing it where God planted you, mm-hmm. right? So the principles uh, that we lay out in in a missions a, a missio- missiological context are not just for those people. Right. right, everybody. Yeah, has a part. I think every person should be taking intro to missions. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs to get a basic understanding, uh, and then the missions, you know, courses will build. Uh, we'll put a, some some courses that will put a heavier focus on, uh, you know, the history of missions plus the movements and missions, getting an understanding uh, of what's happened throughout time and how that looks in our modern world. What are the things that are influencing and driving missions? Get helping us to get more equipped. And uh, ultimately, to a strong focus on church planting as well. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have courses that are set and geared specifically towards uh, equipping people to church plant, and that can be nationally or internationally. Yeah. Well, you've done a wonderful job, you and, and Chris Best and the other church planting pastors that have been a, a part of teaching those courses, and uh, we're really grateful for it. And uh, I'm thankful for you sharing uh, about Henry Martin with us today. Absolutely. Thanks, My pleasure. And we want to thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, we appreciate your time. We appreciate you listening in to, to this biography of Henry Martin. It is inspiring. I'm, I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, man, um, there's so much that can be done with a consecrated life. And it, it's challenging for me. A, a lot of times I think, man, I'm tired. Uh, I've done a lot. I need a break. I need a rest. And what that means is kind of shutting off and and 
and uh, and maybe wasting really precious time that God's given me. Uh, rest is good, uh, but serving the Lord is uh, man. That's eternal. That's eternal goodness. And so maybe you feel challenged in the same way. Maybe you're hearing about Henry Martin and you're saying, you know what, my life has to be mean more. Uh, than this degree or this career or um, or maybe even just you know spending my time looking for a wife I mean or, or a husband uh, there, there has to be more to this and that's what we've learned from Henry Martin today if you desire to learn more about missions um, if you desire to get better equipped we want to invite you to come be a part of LFBI and of course get the material that we're teaching these biblical principles and this philosophy of missions uh, that's been handed down to us um, through Orthodox, uh, teaching for, for a long, long time. Uh, come hang out with us. More than that, we want to invite you to go to your local church pastor and say, how can I be more involved in missions uh, through our local church? Uh, what, what can I do? How can I prepare? Uh, how can I pray? Um, how can I support the work uh, by giving and, and through, through prayer? Uh, what are the things that I can do to be a, a greater part of the work of missions in our local church? And I'm sure that they'll appreciate that, but more than that, you'll be blessed by it and you will gra- uh, gain a, a greater perspective on what it means to have a heart for the world. But we love you and we thank you for the time you've spent with us. Again, visit lfbi.org for questions about the school. But uh, other than that, we will see you again next week, uh, every Monday uh, for another episode of The Postscript. We love you and God bless. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, Please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.